0: Good morning. Uh, I love Easter Sunday. It always takes me back to my childhood and suddenly I'm seven years old again and I'm waking up way too early to get to the the kitchen table to see what the Easter bunny has left us and much to my chagrin, he always left me a brand new itchy shirt uh, that I had to put on and a clip on tie and, and pose for too many pictures before church and after church and and it just went on and on. Suddenly I'm, I'm nine years old and I'm chasing my sisters around the backyard with the super soaker water gun that I got one year. And then I got in really big trouble because the Easter Bunny gave me uh, this, this water gun that I, I shouldn't have had my hands on before church. Uh, and then I'm, I'm 11 years old and I, I remember... Having moments of anticipation, as my father 's in the backyard carefully hiding all the eggs that, as a family, we had had died together, and, and my dad took great pride in making egg hunts basically impossible, uh, and so we 'd have to bribe him to tell us where the last two eggs were, were located, and he was always just so filled with joy and then he was so cheap that later that night he would have this tie dyed egg sandwich uh, that, that he, he, he couldn't let those eggs go to waste, uh, and, and I never could handle watching him have that Easter meal uh, in the evening. I, I know that all of us have memories of Easter, uh, and now as, as a dad with two little girls of my own, I am reminded on this Sunday each year that there's, there's nothing more beautiful to me in this world, and my wife and my daughters wearing their brand new Easter dresses and being excited about this day. And and as we gather together here, all of us with our different backgrounds and memories and and joys and expectations, we find that that we know that we're not just here because of the Easter bunny and baskets and, and new clothes. We're here for something deeper, something far more important than that. We're here Dressed up at church together, many of us with our friends and family, and, and this is only going to be part of the day. This is only going to be part of a celebration. We are here because of our hope, our hope that in all situations, no matter how difficult or challenging or dark those situations may be, we believe that God is alive. That God is with us, that God carries us, that God is able to save us, that God is able to rescue us, that God is able to bring us new life. And of all the things I love about Easter Sunday, I love leaning into that resurrection hope most of all. And now I know, I know that for, for many people in this world, believing in the resurrection is not an easy thing to do at all. And more than that, I know that there's a handful of things that you pretty much have to believe before you're, you're going to even try to believe in the resurrection. I mean, first you've got you to gotta decide to believe that there's a God, right, that this isn't some cosmic accident that we're living in, that, that this, this God spoke our world into being. And, and then you've got to believe that, that the God who spoke you into life wants to be with you in your life, that that. That this God who loves us enough to create us wants a relationship with us. And and we've got to know that, that God will never give up on pursuing us. And then you've got to believe that the reason God is pursuing us for that relationship is not to control us. It's not to be in charge. But that God is actually pursuing us so that he can love us freely into being the kinds of people we were created to be. And then you've got to believe that this God sent his one and only son... To die for us. And not as some metaphor or some story or something that happened a long time ago. And maybe it's true and maybe it's not true. But that it really happened. And that when Jesus died on the cross, he really did set us free from the power of sin and death. And, and that, that then, and only then, are you starting to get close to be ready to wrestle with the question of if it really is the creator's son who was slain for us lying lifeless in a tomb in the dark, it's then that we have to wrestle with whether or not we're going to believe that that's not the end of the story. That the resurrection, it has to be possible. And maybe more than just possible, we know that as people of faith, the resurrection is essential. It is the foundation. It is everything to us. Years after Jesus lived and died and came back to life, a servant that all of us know by the name of the Apostle Paul got an opportunity to preach a sermon where he talks about that essential piece of our faith, the foundation, the basic building blocks of what it means to be somebody who lives with hope. He got a chance to, to preach to some of the most influential people in the ancient world, people who lived in the city of Athens. And so I'm going to be reading that sermon. It's, don't, don't worry, it's a brief sermon that, that Paul preaches. He's concise and to the point, but it is an amazing sermon, and I want us to listen to it together now. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22, we find these words. Paul stood up in the middle of... ...of the council on Mars Hill and said... ...people of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. And As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship... ...I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands... Nor is God served by human hands, as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. And God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. And in fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God, we live, move, And And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like a gold, silver, or stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. God has given proof to this to everyone. By raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule Paul. However, others said, we'll hear from you about this again. Now, this is a masterful sermon. In the course of roughly four minutes, Paul covers... All kinds of central important ideas of of what it means to be somebody who calls themselves a Christian. Paul speaks to the people of Athens with breathtaking fluency when it comes to their own cultural language. Quoting from poets they know by heart. and, And skillfully using their openness to countless gods as an open door for him to speak about the God. The one true God. The Lord of heaven and earth. A God, it turns out, who isn't really interested in only being worshipped in buildings that we, we build for that purpose, but actually longs to be encountered by us in every single space of this earth, in every place on the face of this earth, wherever we are, God wants to be with us. God wants us to recognize that he is with us. Paul talks about this idea that, that we need to be people who not only trust in a God who creates us, but we understand that God doesn't want us to just believe theoretically in him or know something about him, but this God wants us to know him intimately, personally. This God is not interested in power alone. This God is interested in you and in me and in sharing our life together. And then Paul talks about the fact that, that even though sometimes it might seem like this God is hard for us to encounter and hard for us to see, he says you're just not looking in the right places. You're not trying hard enough. If, if you'll just quiet yourself and if you'll open yourself up to what you already know is true, you'll find that this God that I'm talking about, this unknown God who you think you don't know, but he already knows you, he's as close to you as your own heart. It's a, it's a masterful sermon. It's amazing. And then Paul kind of messes it all up. He starts talking about somebody coming back from the dead. And, and Luke tells us it's right at that place. Right? Where as a preacher, I'm, I'm outlining his sermon. I'm thinking, this is great. This is great. They're with you. They're with you. And then suddenly you start talking about the resurrection. You've only been talking to them for four minutes. Why would you rush that, Paul? Paul? Why do you bring something up that's that difficult for people to understand? Why, why mention something that's so hard so soon? And yet the more I have listened to Paul's sermon in Acts 17, the more I realize that maybe, just maybe, he knows a little bit more about preaching than I do. <laughs> that he understands something. That even though it's in the moment that he, he mentions the resurrection that he loses a bunch of people in his audience. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And even though he doesn't take all the time that I might take through a multiple sermon series to try to develop all these different building blocks of faith that you need before you might be ready to to take that leap of faith to say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Paul understands something. I think it's why just four minutes after he starts preaching, he's talking about somebody coming back from the dead, I think he knows that every single person who's ever lived long enough to lose somebody that they love as much as life itself, they need to hear the news that the end is not really the end, and they need to hear it now, not later, but now. I'll I'll never forget a conversation I had with a friend of mine named Ben. He and his younger brother Adam had decided that they wanted to do mission work in uh, Uganda, Africa, and they were they were there working. And it was it was work that they knew they needed to give their life to, but it was, it was difficult and it was challenging and there were times that it was so frustrating that they were tempted to just kind of throw it all in and go home, but they, they loved the people there. And, and as much as they loved the people there, they loved feeling like they were a part of what God was doing in that part of the world. And so they fought through their discouragement and their frustration and their difficulties and they stayed. But one afternoon... Ben receives a phone call that he will never forget. Adam had gone into town to pick up some supplies that they needed for the ministry that they were carrying out. There was a car accident, and a young man was thrown from the car, and he was dead. And the authorities believed it was Adam, but they needed Ben to come and identify his brother's body. how do you process a phone call like that you don't you go into shock you, your heart goes numb you you can't find your keys you you can't get to your car and then when you you try to drive to the morgue you can't you can't see because there's tears running down your face and you have to pull over and and then you have to pull yourself together and get back in the car and finally get to the morgue and when he gets there there's a downed power line, and so there's no power to the morgue. It's completely dark. And so Ben takes out his, his cell phone. And this is, this is long enough ago. It, it wasn't a smartphone. It was just one of those little phones you could flip open. There's no flashlight on it. So all he's got is that weak light from his screen, and he gets to the table in this morgue. And as soon as that light falls on the face He knows it's Adam. It's his little brother. And he's gone. Ben stopped telling the story and pulled himself together. And then he said to me, Jared, in the moment that I was looking at my dead brother, and I looked at what had happened to him, in that car accident, and I tried to try to to imagine my life without him, I knew in that moment that I needed resurrection to be true not just something we talk about on Easter, not just something we might study in a Bible class. He said, I, I've been going to church my whole life. I know how much we talk about resurrection, but there's a part of me that always felt like resurrection was like a, like a Christian fairy tale, like it's almost too good to be true. And, and in that moment, I knew it couldn't be a Christian fairy tale anymore. It had to be true. It had to be true for Adam, and it had to be true for me. And listening to Ben talk, I, I knew that, that he was right. These words he's speaking flowing from a broken heart that's stum- somehow still in that moment, it- it's this, this heart that's reaching for hope. And I know that he's right. I know in my life that I need resurrection to be true and not later but now. Paul knew not to wait because you don't wait for news like that. You you don't hold it off. You don't bury the lead. You don't make people think that, that this is about something else than life that's stronger than death. And so like Paul knows in Acts 17 and like my friend discovers at that morgue in Africa, you and I, we need resurrection to be true more than anything else before anything else. We need resurrection to be true. I've lost all four of my grandparents. I've lost aunts and uncles. I've lost friends that were like family to me, that were way too young. I've officiated at funerals for husbands and wives and brothers and sisters. I've helped families bury their children. Sons and daughters who leave behind parents who will never be the same. I need resurrection to be true. More than anything else, before anything else, I need resurrection to be true. And when Paul gets to that part of his sermon, when he's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead... It's not just that he's talking about the fact that Jesus was the one person who gets to experience resurrection. Paul is mentioning that because he wants all of us to hold on to the hope that if God raised his own son from the dead out of love and hope, That because of our faith, because of our relationship with God, it's not just something that God did once. It's something that God can and does do over and over and over again. We may not know how to see it, and we may not know how to believe in it, and we may not know how to receive it. But brothers and sisters, Paul's not talking about one person getting to be stronger than death. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. He's talking about all of us who place our hope in Jesus Christ. We need resurrection to be true. When I first got out of college, uh, Lauren and I moved to the the San Francisco Bay Area, and I I preached at a church there, and the, the building happened to be right in the middle of a neighborhood. I mean, it wasn't any distance from houses of people who some had lived there forever and some were brand new to the neighborhood. And so we would often, during our church services, we would have neighbors walk in because they they had some need or they had some interest. And so they would come into our worship service. And I will never forget this one time I was preaching and I saw this guy come through the back door and slide down just in the, the very far edge of the very last pew. It was like he it's all he could do to be inside the room. And as soon as the sermon was over and we started to sing the invitation song, he bolted. And I, I took off after him. And I, I reached him before he got outside the building. And I said, excuse me, sir, excuse me. I noticed that you were here and, and that you, you just got here and now you're leaving. And I just want to make sure, is there anything at all that we could do for you? And looking down at the ground, looking at his shoes... He kind of mumbled, I'm, I'm here for my wife. And I said, well, well, my name's Jared. What's your name? And he said, my, my name's Doug, and I'll just be blunt with you, preacher. I'm a drunk. I've always enjoyed a couple of drinks after work, but the last few years it's gotten completely out of control. My life is off the rails and early this morning, my wife woke me up and told me that if I didn't stop now, she was gonna leave me and she was gonna take our little boy with her. So I pulled on my clothes and I walked down the street and I came in here because I don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I gotta start over. And so I thought I'd start by by saying a prayer to ask God for help. So that's what I did. I, I got what I needed. I'm sorry for interrupting thanks. And he started to walk out, and I said, no, 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 Doug, let's talk more about this. And so we did, and we developed a friendship, and he started going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and on top of that regular practice of him being in community with people who understood his struggle and were walking beside him, he was starting to read the Bible for the first time. And he came to my office once a week and we would talk about all kinds of different questions that would come up. We'd talk about the stories that he loved to read. And the stories that he loved most of all were always the stories where somebody had their entire life changed because they met Jesus. People who, who had no hope For a good life, for a good future, encounter Jesus, and suddenly everything changes in an instant. He he would go over and over those stories and ask all kinds of questions, and finally reached a place after eleven months where, on a on a cool October night, we were in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's cool in October there. On a cool October night, he said to me, Jared, I'm ready to be baptized. So, we go into the sanctuary. It's just me and him and his wife and his son. And we get into the baptistry together, and he says, I'll never forget this, what he says to me. He says, you're going to kill me right now, right? (laughs) And I said, what? And he goes, when I go in that water, I'm going to die, right? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. That's not exactly how I'd put it, but yeah. He said, okay, that's what I need. And I know this is a little strange, but I really want this baptism to take. So leave me under. (laughs) And I said, leave you under? And he said, well, don't hold me under. Just leave me under. I want to be down there a little while. I got a lot of stuff that I want to leave. And I'll let you know when I'm ready to come up. (laughs) And I want to say, I went to school and practiced this in a pool somewhere. And you're telling me how to do my technique on baptism? I'm not supposed to. (laughs) Fine, fine. So I ask him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he came to this earth to show you how to live and that he died to save you from your sin and that he rose from the dead so that you could rise from the dead? And he said, yes, I do. And then I gently placed them underwater. And then I waited. And time stretches out when you're holding somebody underwater. I mean, I wasn't really holding, but I was touching him. And he wasn't moving. And he just stayed there. And it wasn't forever, but it felt like forever. And then suddenly he grabbed my hand. Tight. And I pulled Doug up out of that water. And as I hugged him, he said to me, I can feel it. I'm not who I was. I'm new. We need resurrection to be true. More than anything else, before anything else, we need resurrection to be true. We need the hope that we will see the people we have loved and lost once again alive and well and full of joy. And we need to believe that no matter what kinds of mistakes we feel like we've made, the kind of mess we we might think that we've made of our life and of our relationships, that we can always start over, that we can always be made new. No matter what you've gone through this week or this month or this year, no matter what you've faced no matter how much frustration or fear or difficulty that you have in your heart right now, I want you to know that our faith tells us that life is stronger than death. That life is stronger than death. It takes faith. It, it, it takes a leap of faith. It takes you saying that, that you don't know how to how to design a life that's stronger than death, but you're ready to receive a life that's stronger than death. And that that, that way of life gives us a hope. That is stronger than anything, any darkness we might have to to face. That it's a promise that doesn't break no matter what we go through. That there is this blessed assurance that we have that what God did in Jesus and is doing in your life through Jesus is better than anything you could ever do on your own. This is what Easter means. It means that my future is not something that I design or make happen. It is a gift from God that I receive, and my future doesn't end in my death. That there's more, and the end is never the end. That's why we come here. It's why we gather together. We need resurrection to be true, and brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, It is. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we're going to have some shepherds and their wives waiting outside of these double doors. They're there to pray with you, to talk with you. If you want to learn more about being a part of our church or more about baptism, uh, preachers don't always hold you under for a long time. If, if you have any concerns at all that our community could help you with, please go to them. As Together We Stand and Sing.